Welcome to the show, Mandeep. This is Action Potential, uh, episode one. Uh, you're my first guest, uh, so I thank you a lot for being here with us uh, to share your journey through the field of nephrology and many other things. Uh, let's dive right in. Please tell our audience about you. Fantastic. Thanks so much, uh, Sahan, for for inviting me. And thank you. I didn't realize that I'm your first uh, Action Potential speaker. And congratulations for, for getting this this going. And also congratulations for everything everything you've done so far. So that's, I've you. enjoyed this journey with you thus far. So uh, to your audience, uh, my name's uh, Mandeep Sahani. I'm a practicing nephrologist. I've been practicing for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, sorry, a little more than 20 years. 20 of those last 25 years have been in uh, in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, tell us a little bit about your journey to get to the field of nephrology, Mandeep, if you can. What were yeah, what were some of the key influences that uh, that made you think first I need to become a doctor and I want to serve this type of you know patients or what were kind of influences tell us a little bit about your journey talk if you will of course of course uh, so uh, as far as back I can remember maybe uh, uh, ten twelve years of age I always wanted to be a physician uh, it was. I was there even then, and even now, I'm the only physician in the in the family. I come from a uh, well-established, big business family in in India, and uh, that's the path that I wanted to take. And I, my biggest supporter was my mother at that time. And um, uh, as I started med school, uh, cardiology really fascinated and interested me. Uh, everything about the heart, the heart, the physiology, the anatomy, uh, how it's it's at that time I thought was the most central organ, you know, uh, and was quite fascinated by it. I, uh, my journey was always right from the get go, wanted to come and train and learn more and be established and uh, settled in, in the US. Uh, so when I arrived here, um, I arrived a, a couple of months late. The visa process is quite lengthy and tedious, and I was refused a couple of times. And then when I got accepted to a residency position in, in Chicago, uh, because of the delay in getting my visa, I, I think I started about three months late. And then by default, uh, I was put into work under, do, do a rotation under the chief of medicine. And also, I think the chief of staff at that time, uh, Dr. Bob Hedger, who happened to be a nephrologist. And back, you know, in our, in our training, medical school training back in, in the, uh, late 80s and the early 90s had no exposure to uh, nephrology. I just had a little bit when I did about a year or so in England at a very remote and rural hospital, but still I hadn't gotten my interest till I started uh, uh, the residency program, till I started rounding with, with Dr. Hedger. I want to say it was a style of practice. He, he was from North Dakota. You know, he imbibed the, the quintessential uh, salt of the earth, uh, Midwest uh, uh, ethics and philosophies of practice that really resonated well with me. And, uh, and then he, st as he started educating me about uh, nephrology and how even the clinical practice of nephrology relies so much on, on your physiological fundamental principles. Uh, that's the first year that you study in medicine. That really, that along with, along with his, his style of practicing medicine, uh, very laid back, uh, using data as a means of getting to a diagnosis and not just data but also all the clinical inputs uh, that 
you know, just fascinated me. I, I can't think of a different, better word than that. And then uh, I decided I want to be like Bob, Dr. Hedja. And uh, so he helped me through my journey. Uh, he helped me do, uh, write a couple of research papers. He introduced me to Todd Ng, who even then and now is uh, considered the father of dialysis, has written multiple handbooks on dialysis. Um, and uh, so I was lucky enough to do a fellowship under uh, Dr. Ng. And then once I finished my fellowship, he just, I remember this, he just threw uh, this application in my lap and says, you need to go work here. Okay. I said, all right, Dr. Ng. And where was that? That was in a small town in uh, Sioux City, Iowa, uh, back in um, to, uh, 2001. And I served the, uh, the population there uh, uh, from 2001 to 2004. And that's where I was exposed to taking care and serving uh, of the indigenous tribes there, the Sioux tribe and the uh, Winnebago tribes. Uh, uh, serving them made me feel uh, very much at home, uh, their, their culture, their approach to their uh, uh, physicians, their approach to medicine. And uh, I got a position and offer here to come to Phoenix in 2004. And one of the things that, that I was interested in is because they had a, and they still have a pretty significant presence uh, on uh, with, in tribal communities and serving tribal communities and, tr and serving the rural communities around uh, the metropolitan Phoenix areas and Maricopa County. So I took the job and this was back in 2004 and here we are in 2023. That's all. That's an amazing story about how your first job in Iowa influenced how you would see the field of nephrology moving forward for the next 20 years now, almost to next year. Can you talk us a little bit, a little bit through what it's like serving underserved populations, uh, particularly in the U S we see particularly in kidney care, huge disparities um, in how care is delivered to people with lower socioeconomic status, um, rural areas, some major challenges associated with that. How have uh, you experienced uh, delivering care? What are some of the important aspects of, uh, of that that you always need to consider when you think about providing the best version of care for these, uh, these people who are underserved today? Right. And, and I, so the, my outlook to that is I think it's mostly access uh, to care uh, and access to specialist care, which unfortunately is not that available in, in rural communities, uh, even though these rural communities may, at least in our case in Arizona, where we are, may just be about 90 miles away from the urban Phoenix uh, uh, and adjoining the suburban areas. Mm -hmm. uh, nephrology as as a uh, field of nephrologists are shrinking in, in number. Uh, the, uh, the the burden of of work and and uh, the burden of illness that nephrologists face uh, to take care of these highly complex and highly sick patients uh, sort of stretches us uh, a little thin and. Uh, uh, the, it developed an inability for us to serve our patients in the capacities that we were trained to serve them uh, for reasons that are uh, unapproachable given the uh, geographical distances. And also, if we are there, then if you if decide to you know, be present boots on the ground, then having uh, 
you know, facilities like we take for granted in other big hospitals, as, you know, dialysis uh, uh, within a rural community or rural hospital uh, uh, is is much is much desired. So right. it's it's very fulfilling to sort of try and come up with ideas that bridges that gap. Uh, and you very well know, uh, Sahan, you're, you're in this space as well, uh, using technology and, and now even using telemedicine. How do we get uh, to see our patients, uh, even though it, it may be just maybe once or twice in a couple of months, but deliver that pertinent uh, information to the patient, deliver that pertinent uh, missing care and bridge that gap. I think that uh, is, is fascinating, is, is avoiding uh, that particular patient to move uh, out of his community, out of his where he's most comfortable with, uh, out of his home to get care that's not available, that we, you know, in the metropolitan areas take for granted. I think providing that service and closing a gap uh, brings immense satisfaction. That is very interesting, Mandeep, to hear you, your perspective on that. What role as a nephrologist do you play with these patients uh, that you serve then? Are you the are you the uh, the empowerment piece to the patient to take out take better uh, control of their their health? Are you the cheerleader? Are you the gatekeeper? What can you speak to us a little bit about how you see the the role of the nephrologist um, uh, in how you serve these patients, in, particularly with the challenges that you just mentioned in mind? I think you've, 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 you've said the magic word, which is empowerment. And, and, and I think that's really, really powerful. I, and and that's, a, uh, that's in my lexicon. And, and that's in the, the approach on how uh, the style of medicine that I, want, that I love to practice is, you know, arming the, arming the patients, arming the community with the necessary tools, necessary information, the necessary knowledge and the education so that they can be empowered and understand and take care of their own health. Uh, I think many times uh, uh, we, we as uh, physicians you know, forget that they are also healers and having the ability to engage with, with your patients and switching on that healing button so that, which in other words, you know, could be exactly what you're saying is empowerment, getting them focused on uh, these are the next steps that I need to, that I, he or she needs to take to improve uh, uh, his or her clinical situation so that they can get out of that uh, 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 disease state that they're in and improve their lives by by uh, education, by adopting certain uh, skill sets, by teaming up with the right people, and also not, not just helping uh, just themselves and their family, but uplifting the community as well. I think uh, em empowering our patients, empowering the community, uh, especially in, 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 in rural areas where you take a community-based approach uh, can get you uh, good results. Yeah, uh, I can certainly uh, attest to that based on the feedback we've heard from patients as well, uh, M uh, Mandeep. Uh, one of the st sticking to the empowerment piece. How does how does technology help you as a physician make sure that the patients feel like they have the right tools to stay on top of their health, take preventative action? We look into the space of uh, chronic kidney disease and dialysis today. There's a tremendous push to move dialysis to the home, which sounds exactly as you mentioned, is a key focus of yours to help patients have the right access to care from their own home. 
we see many, many medications come to uh, market that are disease modifying for the better. Um, can you speak to us a little bit about the state of nephrology right now and how you think technology can help you empower your patients better a little bit more? Of course. So there's a really big focus uh, on if our patients do end up getting on uh, ESKD, so if they do develop ESKD and they do end up needing dialysis uh, that supports their, uh, their, their, their longevity, uh, being able to provide dialysis at home uh, is where I think a, a strong healing process can, can begin. Uh, technology has, has changed that uh, with, with having, uh, um, you know, user-friendly uh, machines, uh, simplifying to where uh, with, a, with a, just a point and a click, uh, they can start their own dialysis uh, at home. They can be around the loved ones at home. They can, they can uh, schedule dialysis to their, uh, uh, you know, uh, schedule. Uh, and then also uh, imbibe that healing environment in their own home. You know, be around with their pets if, if that's okay. Be around with their plants. Uh, you know, just absorb the energy that they are in a very comfortable surrounding. It impacts the healing. Uh, technology is is at the forefront of this. That has definitely changed our approach to and shift from in-center dialysis to dialysis at home. Being able to monitor these patients remotely when they are at home through through and good solid internet connection, being able to see their vitals in real time, being able while they're on dialysis or even when they're not on dialysis, I think that uh, gives the patients a, a fantastic degree, degree of comfort that uh, even though they're not in a conventional uh, dialysis setting, which is an in-center setting, uh, they are still being taken care of. They still have virtual eyes on them. And then, you know, their vitals are being measured at the same time as they're going through this this three to four hour procedure, uh, sometimes three to four times a week. I want to come back to that point in a second, but before I do, I want to uh, ask you one uh, question around the focus around home dialysis often starts before a patient needs to start dialysis. At least that's how uh, there seems to be best results oriented. Once someone starts in in center, there's of course an in incentives to move uh, both for patients and for providers to move patients into the home. But oftentimes that journey of recognizing dialysis might be imminent and starting at the home has its benefits uh, is one, one aspect. But I also want to ask you around, uh, ask you about um, preventative care. How do, you, how do you think about preventing these patients from ever needing dialysis? Uh, and, and what are some of the key technological advancements you've seen that can help you do that? Excellent. So the idea is that our first focus as nephrologists is to slow down the progression of CKD as and when CKD sets in. And then if they need dialysis or or if they're eligible for a kidney transplant, that'd be the first first option other than getting dialysis in center. But moving upstream is how do we you know decrease the disease burden so we can slow down the progression of CKD towards dialysis. Uh, now, here in the U.S., the, most, the two most common causes of CKD and, and ESRD are diabetes and high blood pressure. So how do we monitor these, these two uh, disease burdens uh, and decrease the comorbidity on our patients when we are, when number one, they're remote, 
And number one, as specialists, we see them maybe once or twice a year, especially in the early stages. Now, uh, uh, remote patient monitoring or remote physiological monitoring, you know, through through uh, the, these newer devices and, and while they're connected through uh, cell phone lines or through the internet, we can monitor their blood pressure, right? And blood pressure, as, as stated earlier, is one of the leading causes of uh, CKD and kidney disease in this country. Uh, we all know and we, we all love continuous glucose monitoring. This way they can, uh, the patients uh, in real time can know after they've eaten uh, perhaps what they think could be a carbohydrate, uh, poor meal, or uh, end up actually spiking the sugars. And then they know they can adjust their meal in the next time go around if that's something that they like to consume, maybe decrease the portions a little bit so they can see better results of their, of their sugars and then in return of their hemoglobin A1Cs. Uh, but as you know, Sahan, that's, that's, it's, um, for, for CKD progression, uh, not only did we have to develop the ability to control the sugars, control the blood pressure, but also as there's decrease in kidney, kidney function, uh, it's important to keep an eye on other electrolytes like sodium, potassium, bicarb, uh, et cetera. And how do you do that today, Mandeep? So uh, at the moment, it's, it's, it's done by a blood test. You know, you go to a lab or you can have somebody come at home and from the bottom is collect the blood, spin it and, and get results uh, depending upon Either it can be stat results, can be done within the next few hours, or usually the results come by within 24 to 36 hours. Mm -hmm. And, and, but, uh, so in, does that suffice, uh, at different stages of chronic kidney disease? Like you said, at the very beginning, when you see a patient who's at an earlier stage of chronic kidney disease, who have more diabetes and hypertension related management, you have remote blood pressure monitoring and CGM continuous glucose monitors. But as they progress through chronic kidney disease, their electrolyte imbalances tends to be more severe. So do blood tests, in your opinion, suffice for managing patients, particularly those who are uh, remote uh, and not necessarily in places with great accessibility uh, to, to laboratory tests and, and clinician care? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, if, if uh, there is, I'd like, as the CKD disease, disease progresses, uh, and they are at a point where they are, you know, nearing dialysis, but still not there. Uh, it's imperative that we not only control their fluids, uh, control their, their carbohydrate ingestion in the diabetics, make sure the salt and water is balanced so that the blood pressure stays controlled through remote uh, physiological monitoring. But it's one of the electrolytes that that is is, is pretty uh, ubiquitous in in what in our diet is, is potassium. Uh, uh, potassium, you know, on both sides, whether it's too low or too high uh, in, in a body fluids can cause problems with the heart and, and muscles. Uh, uh, many times, you know, we have to restrict that diet. Uh, if tell our patients not to eat tomatoes and potatoes as the CKD progresses, disease progresses uh, because of these reasons of, you know, having the consequences, avoiding the consequences of hyperkalemia or high potassium. But as you mentioned earlier, is we don't get that often to test them uh, with their uh, the, do the blood test to see if this particular food ingested in this particular quantity in this particular stage of CKD is going to affect the potassium one way or the other. There's always a time lag, uh, and if the, the test after they've consumed the meal and the test results come back, you know, in a day or so, 
sometimes it's a little too late to take action. And then what has the patient learned from it, right? He's learned, okay, I got to give up my uh, food that I love completely, right? So I don't get into dangers of a high potassium state. So if we had something that we could, just like we monitor continuous glucose monitoring, if, if my late CKD patients had the opportunity uh, to monitor, monitor the potassium in a continuous manner, you know, once again, it empowers them, uh, educates them, and uh, they know that they can limit the food that they like and get a real-time result uh, on what uh, on what the, the monitor can. It's really it's really interesting. Up. We think about for we are often to- told as hypertensive patients not to consume sodium, uh, reduce your salts, but sodium and potassium work quite in unison, but in very different ways. Just like you should avoid high sodium foods, you should not avoid completely cutting off potassium just because you've, uh, you're afraid that you could go into hyperkalemia. You, there's always a moderation in how you need to consume these just to maintain blood pressure. Did I hear that correctly uh, from you? That fluid balance through electrolytes um, is really important for to maintain appropriate blood pressure levels so you're not stressing your kidneys. Exactly right. So it, that's where sodium and salt comes in to maintain you know, your, your volume status and volume reflects is effective of your, of your blood pressure and having a higher blood pressure can obviously detrimental to a CKD progression. Uh, now on the thread of, uh, electrolyte management, suppose you can now see potassium and sodium and key electrolytes that allows you to, and the patient to maintain their fluid balance. What key actions as a clinician can you take and what key actions will you empower your patient to take Mandi? So if, if I know through, once again, through remote patient monitoring or remote physiological monitoring, uh, my patient's weight has gained, uh, he's gained a significant amount of weight in a short period of time. The first thing I'm going to ask him is, what is your uh, salt consumption? Are you restricting sodium in your diet? Are you restricting fluid intake? And that way I can gauge whether I need to educate him about decreasing that or increase his diuretics so he can get rid of the excess salt and excess water. Uh, if it comes to potassium, you know, at the moment, I, I need, uh, I don't have something that is suggestive or a surrogatory marker of a potassium. I need to know what that value is. So short of sending, sending the patient uh, to, if, uh, to, the, to, to the lab to get, his blood, to get his blood tested for high potassium, if he or she says that, okay, I had an orange and, I need, and it calls me up and then we send uh, and a requisition for the lab, and the lab does a test. So there's a lag between his, him or her having an orange, not realizing that that's not good for him or her, and then me getting the result back with a significant lag, and there's an opportunity lost there. Right? right. Now, if we had something like a CGM in this instance, I would know the result right away, and, and instead of the patient wondering, then somebody at my end would call the patient and say, look, your potassium spike is something that you ate, or is a new medication that somebody started? Or, hey, you, did you remember that we mentioned in the past not to have any you know, high potassium foods? So uh, that then is a feedback, you know, learning loop for the patient. All right, the next time, and you know, I need to avoid this because I just ate the orange, you know, like two seconds, right. two, like two minutes ago, right? right. So the lag time is short. And, and it, it uh, becomes a learning journey for the patient to also figure out how their own body works exactly. so that they can start to make the decisions for themselves on what they like to eat, but in moderation or when to do it. 
So it becomes really learn and optimizing intake behaviors uh, that then feeds into the lifestyle that they want to lead. Exactly. So if, if I'm the patient, I know the next time maybe I just have two slices and I can know that my potassium level won't rise to a level where I get a call from my physician or his team. So what, to tell us a little bit about what excites you about the, the world of kidney care um, that you foresee in the next five to 10 years to come, Mandeep. But so, clearly you have these ideas on, you know, what would help you empower your patients to stay, if they're earlier stage in chronic kidney disease, that they would retain their kidney function for as long as possible. But if they're coming close to, uh, you know, starting dialysis, then potentially home dialysis empowered by safety aspects of that because you're taking away the in-center uh, care team around a patient. Um, you, you've spoken to us about many interesting topics around where remote patient physiological monitoring can also help. But what excites you? What do you think are big things to keep an eye out uh, on in the field of nephrology in the next five to 10 years to come? I think the, you know, firstly, there is not much recognition of chronic kidney disease, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some people will say, some nephrologists will say it's not as sexy as cardiology or oncology that gets all the limelight and, and gets all the, the you know, the, uh, the healthcare industry behind uh, those disease states, right? But as of late, in the last couple of few years, we've seen a tremendous spotlight on CKD and, and ESKD, a spotlight in the sense, what is the spend on, on, this, on this diagnosis, both when they are on dialysis and, and before uh, dialysis. Uh, the idea is that uh, most of CKD here within, in this country is, is, formed, is caused by either diabetes or hypertension. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one in, 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 in seven patients may, may have CKD. Uh, they just uh, don't know about it. They just don't know about it. 99% don't know about it. So the first thing is education. You know, and how do you start that education? After education, then initially there's a lot of handholding that has to be done by the healthcare community, the provider community. And, and part of that handholding is then to empower these patients and then to create programs that would help uh, uh, decrease their, their comorbidities, help decrease their disease burden. And then by, the, but those programs need, you know, the right funding and the right uh, approach. And I wouldn't say that, that you know, we, we develop newer funding mechanisms, I think just alter the ones that we already have uh, whether it's through, uh, you know, for our patients above 65, whether it's through Medicare or whether it's through Medicare Advantage plans, how do we create a robust uh, care management platform uh, through uh, Medicare Advantage plans or through just traditional Medicare that has a niche focus on on CKD and what is and what causes CKD like diabetes, congestive heart failure, hypertension, and then at the same time, if they do end up on dialysis, how do we create a, a program that that uh, enables these patients to get number one dialysis at home, right? Because then there's, we believe there's a good chance that they're going to be more compliant. If they're more compliant, that decreases their pill burden, therefore decreases their cost, and also decreases their comorbidities, decreases their chance of getting in the hospital. All that data has been, you know, clearly shown. But mm -hmm. it starts with a focus on this, which I think we're starting to see, you know, focus on CKD in this side. And the goal would be to do it before before it's too late and a patient is in need of dialysis. So the earlier you intervene, the the more touch points you can have and hand holding such that the patient still has 
a long time to go where they control their own destiny with in terms of their disease uh, burden and how they live their life to their totally fullest. And and you must still be very excited based on the last couple of years, Mandeep, seeing you know venture backed companies raise you know close to if not more than two billion, uh, just to focus on this big issue. Even though there are some major hurdles ahead of all of us to change how nephrology is delivered. Um, any last uh, takeaways? Any last uh, things you want to share with our audience uh, as we bring this uh, interview to a close? No, firstly, thank you, Sahan, for, for, for giving me this opportunity. You know, I, I love uh, the, the term uh, action potential. I think it, it speaks a lot. You know, it, it's a call to action, number one, and, and, where, and we have collectively created the potential uh, uh, to be able to get uh, to things we mentioned above, right, which is definitely recognition of an awareness and then creating pathways and programs to slow the CKD progression down. So uh, then we can then give this uh, program, not just in our lifetimes, but hopefully in, in futures to come. And clearly there is uh, uh, more spotlight on, on uh, our specialty, more spotlight on this, on this space. You know, uh, you might have read recently about the, the, uh, the xenograft from, from, a, from a big kidney, uh, right? So, uh, we're very excited. I think we are, uh, I like to think at an inflection point with everything mm-hmm. else that you mentioned, we're, we're seeing uh, good funding coming into this space. Yeah. I think the next few years, uh, are going to be very interesting and I'm glad to be yeah. part of it. Absolutely. Well, as one of the leading nephrologists in the, in the country, we thank you for joining us today, uh, to our first episode of action potential Mandeep. Thank you very much and look forward and look forward to seeing a lot more from you in the coming years. Likewise, Sahan. Thank Bye. you for your support. Thank you. Thank you.